Well, it's good to be here, and here's what we're up to. Today we are celebrating the third week of Advent on the subject of joy, as you guys know. And I should start uh, by saying something that is true for me at least, which is that joy um, oftentimes is tough. And I think that's a good place to start if we're going to talk about it. Um, actually, I've, already, I've actually been wrestling with this, with the toughness of joy a lot in our current season at Revolution. Because there are a lot of really, really good things happening here right now. Uh, we have a new and more stable location where we're meeting this week. That's really great news. That's an answer to prayer. Um, we have a lot of folks visiting for the first time and then not just visiting once, but like coming back and sticking around, which means there's something um, that resonates with people in our community about our church. And that's good news. And also, because we're in this new place, a lot of you have been stepping up in new ways to volunteer and to make sure that like church can happen every week. And this is really good news, too. It is, in reality, an exciting and a joyous time for us here at the church. But if you've spent much time with me in the last month or so, then you know that even with all this good news, I am having a hard time feeling a lot of joy. And I'm thinking that a lot of that is because I feel myself um, kind of stuck back in the hard years of the pandemic. Maybe some of you guys are in a similar space. But as I think back to what it was like to be um, the pastor of this church and also just to be a person, right, during that two and a half, three years of difficult times, um, I remember that it felt then like the Jesus feelings was how we've been talking about Advent, that this is a time when we cultivate these Jesus feelings intentionally. That the Jesus feelings that I felt like were hardest and the ones that seemed most important to cultivate back in those years were things like peace and hope and joy kind of got backburnered a little while, like for a little while, right? Like we'll get to joy on the other side. In fact, joy didn't just get kind of backburnered. It felt risky. It felt like setting yourself up for disappointment. And when I'm honest, I think what I was really feeling and what I'm still working through is grief. But the beautiful thing about Advent, as we talked about, is that it is a deliberate season that we take out each year when our whole purpose is to meditate on and try to engage feelings that might very well seem distant from our hearts. Things that might not feel easy, but that we want to cultivate. When we come together, we come together not only to share our faith, right, but we come together, we join on Sundays in real time with real people in a church. We come here in part to share our experiences. And when I hear your stories, right, wherever you are in your life, I'm reminded that where I am like, isn't where everybody is. And so like one neighbor asking for a cup of sugar from another, right, I can borrow some of what you're feeling when it's not what I'm feeling on my own. I can smile with you if you're smiling, even if I don't feel like it, right? I can celebrate with you. I can cry with you. I think the point of all this is that I don't have to keep my feelings like stored up in the cupboard of myself, right? My feelings can be shared, and I can share yours. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to share your joy. <laughs> that would be lovely. But even wanting that, right, prompts a question. And the question is, what if you don't have any on the shelf either? What if none of us do? There are many wonderful things about Scripture, but perhaps chief among them is that Scripture can be like a grocery store for a lot of these Jesus feelings. When we feel depleted, we can come to Scripture to borrow 
of some of those things that we need. Scripture overflows with all sorts of feelings, right? And it uses stories and words and poems to help us find ourselves in it and to articulate some of the things that we might be feeling but struggling to know how to express. In fact, it can help us articulate our very need for comfort. And so the sort of setup for this morning is if joy is what we might be seeking, where can it be found? Our first reading, we have three readings this morning that I think will help with this. And our first reading comes from a passage called the Magnificat, which is the song that Mary sings when she discovers that she's pregnant with Jesus. It's beautiful in its own right, and you can follow along with the readings in your program there. But I think that when it comes to joy, Magnificat also has much to teach us. So let's look together at this. Mary sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary's song begins, My soul magnifies the Lord. Have you ever paused to think about this before? I haven't until this week. Your soul, my soul, makes God easier to see. This is what magnification is, right? It makes him bigger. Now, of course, there's something pretty literal about this in Mary's case, right? Like Jesus is actually growing inside of her body at this moment. And so, yes, like in a very real way, Mary is magnifying God, making God bigger. But I think her words have bearing on us, too, because I think the idea here is that at the center of me, in my soul, right, where I am who and what I am, This verse reminds me that it's not just possible, but perhaps it is impossible not to see who God is. Now, the further you get out from my soul, like from the very center of me, like when we look at things like my thoughts, right, or my actions, then like the image of God can get pretty muddled, right? Like it can start to get fuzzy and hazy. But in my heart, I believe that I can see him because he's imprinted in there. God is imprinted there. Now, can I say, what does that really mean? Well, my theory this morning is that I think what we're talking about is something similar to, like, the word conscience, right? God has left a stamp in me. God is present in me in ways that, like, help me feel what is right and good. And so he swells in me and cheers for me when I choose to show others grace or kindness or when I reflect who he is out in the world, when I magnify him, right? And then he also barks at me when I behave in the opposite kinds of ways. And I feel that inside me too, even if I get experience over the course of my life kind of shutting that up and suppressing that that's barking at me, right? Even when I'm in a dark place and I feel far from God's presence, if I can find the courage to look, I can still sense him inside of me, like urging me towards the light. Whether or not I want it, in other words, My soul magnifies the Lord. And through this gift, I think I have access to at least the possibility of joy. Which, of course, is the thing that Mary is able to connect to in this moment. She says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. 
But this is important too because what we see is that God's attention, God's attention to Mary is what moves her from minimizing who she is, the lowly servant at the beginning of this, of this verse, to who and how God sees her to be in the next verse, right? And she says, surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She goes from like a lowly servant, no one should pay attention to, to somebody that all future generations will call blessed. I might not feel like I have easy access to joy in my own story right now, but Mary's joy, which comes from her choice to see in her pregnancy something more than the fear that she felt when the angel spoke to her or the anxiety she feels even in this moment about her impending marriage, which is kind of like on the rocks, like the, it's like a little bit in jeopardy at this moment, or perhaps the her feelings about the health of her body or her capacity to be a mother, all of those feelings which could be weighing on her, she instead chooses to allow joy to flow out from her soul's ability to recognize and to magnify the attention of God upon her. Suddenly, she isn't nobody to God. She and I and you are somebody. She sees the attention of God, feels the attention of God, and then allows that to be magnified out. Now, comparing ourselves to Mary is a tricky business, right? Because I'm not pregnant with Jesus, and you are also not pregnant with Jesus. It's all well and good to see that Mary is happy, and to at least be reminded that God cares about her, cares about you, cares about me. But even if Mary's song, by being recorded here in Scripture, is offering to share her joy with me, right? I have to like go to the, the cupboard of the Scriptures and like find her joy and seek to borrow it. It would be a stretch to really think I could make the joy of Mary mine, wouldn't it? I am not the mother of Christ. The lectionary, which we've been following all through this series, pairs Mary's song with another curious passage from one of the other places in Scripture that we frequently go when we're looking to borrow feelings. And that's the book of Psalms. If you have never read the Psalms before, one, you should. They're great. But I'll tell you something very important. And if you're the write-down notes kind of person, this is the first thing you should write down today. You need to remember this. The Psalms provide an entirely different experience when it is your world that is falling apart. The Psalms provide an entirely different experience when it is your world that's falling apart. There's a saying that you hear in churches sometimes that can be incredibly harmful, right? God doesn't give you more than you can handle. I'm seeing eyes roll, like, even as I say that. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. I wish that this was true, but it just isn't. It's not true. A day is going to come in your life when you will feel and you will actually be just totally swallowed up by some pain or another. You will know that you are drowning and being told by a well-meaning person that you just need to like keep your head up is going to hurt you more than it helps you. So I'm going to make an amendment, I think, to this saying that is worth remembering. It would go like this. God doesn't intend for you to handle overwhelming things alone. God doesn't intend for you to handle overwhelming things alone. The Psalms in the Bible are a living and a powerful witness to just this point. In the Psalms, we see that hard stuff in our lives is meant to be yelled at, 
cried over and grieved and all of that loudly, as loud as you can. That's what we see in the Psalms. People yelling out, even awful, even heretical and like angry and bad thoughts. They just yell it. But here's the magic trick that I think we, we find. Here's the thing that that God who's living inside of you, magnified by your soul, here's the thing that God can do. He can take all the hard feelings that you pour out and he can tend to them and he can grow something else out of the dirt. Psalm 126 says this, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, Notice the past tense. We'll talk about it in a minute, but notice it here. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we rejoiced at the deed, right? So once again, restore our fortunes, O Lord like the water courses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. The first thing that we see here is that the poet is using the same strategy for their feelings that we laid out at the beginning today. What they are struggling to feel, what is like empty on the shelf inside of them, they go searching for in the cupboard of others. In this case, what they do is they start by remembering these times when God delivered Israel in the past. They say, do you remember the last time that God restored the fortunes of Zion? Back then, we were like those who dream. We laughed and we shouted, giddy with joy. We were so loud with this joy that our neighbors saw us being happy and they knew God must have done great things for them. He's remembering this happy moment in Israel's past, but it's also clear that this is not where the psalmist is right now. Things now seem to be awful, and so they pray, once again, God, restore our fortunes. And may those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Underneath where you, I saw you, where you did not write down the thing I said to write down about the Psalms. <laughs> Which if, you're, if you want to try again, you should write, read the Psalms next time life sucks a lot. That's the note you should take. But underneath that you should write, may those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Your grief, my grief, isn't something to bottle up or to deny or to suppress. Your grief is a seed that you plant. It's something you put down in the dirt. It is something you let out of yourself. Do you know how farming was done like back in the days when this psalm was written? I'll tell you this. I, I mean, I only partly do. I mean, I've like read. I did. I looked it up. But, you know, I, don't, I wasn't there. Um, but here's the deal, right? Like, it wasn't a careful process of, like, digging neat furrows and, like, spacing out little acorns or something in the ground and covering them and then watering them and seeing them grow. No. Like, the way that crops were planted was wild and messy. The hard ground would be all churned up with tools and then 
sowers would just walk around and scatter seeds wildly, just tossing them out wherever, just flinging them everywhere. Even hundreds of years after the psalm was written, we see this same approach to like sowing in the parables of Jesus, right? There's a famous parable from Jesus where we see in that parable that seeds are just being tossed wherever, right? On good soil, on bad soil, on like the stones that are in the path, like basically into the mouths of crows if they like fly close enough. He's just scattering them wherever. And then God is the one who's being trusted to bring up crops wherever he wills. And I don't bring all of this up to like disparage ancient farming techniques. Do not write that down in the notes. Like he hates ancient farmers. No, I bring it up to say this. If your grief and your tears are seeds, you are not being asked to be careful with them. You're not being asked to be careful with them. You're being asked to just pour them out, to scatter them, to feel them, and to just share those feelings. Back during the pandemic, Meredith got really into birding, which you may remember if you're a friend. It was a strange thing. I didn't see that coming, but it was a big deal. And so in the spring, I mean, we all did stuff. Baked bread, right? All the things. But anyways, in the spring of 2021, I wanted to try something different in the little flower bed spot that's in front of our townhouse. If you've ever been to our house, we have like a very, we'll call it a garden, but it's really like this big, and it's like right in front of the house. But I wanted to try something different there. So with the hopes that I could grow more native plants, I pulled up like the rose bushes that the beetles ate every spring, and I got rid of all that. And then I just bought a bunch of packets of seeds, and I scattered them all around. So we did all local things. Did like the sunflowers and the asters and the columbines. But the ones I was most excited for were the black-eyed Susans, because I know those are your state flower, right? Which is fun. And so when summer came, and like the other things showed up, but the black-eyed Susans never showed up, I was like particularly bummed, and I was also more than a little confused until the next spring when I found the unopened packet of seeds of black-eyed Susans like in my closet. The point of the story, right, is that you can't grow stuff that you don't plant. You can't grow stuff you don't plant. If the harvest the psalmist is looking for is joy, if that's the black-eyed Susan, shouts and sheaves of joy. They say that that, that plant right, is sown with seeds of tears. They have to be poured out. They have to be felt and shared. Or the harvest isn't going to come. So can we put these two passages together, right? Can we see how the grief and the hope of the psalmist might illuminate the expectant joy of Mary and the magnification in our souls of our God? Well, it's a rhetorical question. The answer, I think, is yes. It would be funny if I got to a sermon one day and I got to, like, the third part and I was like, it actually can't work. Go on. Our third passage this morning comes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and it shows us, I think, how to do this work. In it, Isaiah is speaking in the words of the Messiah. So we're like hearing the Messiah's voice as Isaiah is anticipating it or, or channeling it. And of course, the Messiah to ancient Israel is the ultimate harvest from all of Israel's grief for generations and generations and generations. The ultimate harvest is going to be the Messiah. And this is, of course, also the figure with whom the rejoicing Mary is then pregnant. And so in this passage, the Messiah says, 
The sovereign Lord has filled me with his spirit. He has chosen me and sent me to bring good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to announce release to captives and freedom to those in prison. He has sent me to proclaim that the time has come when the Lord will save his people and defeat their enemies. He has sent me to comfort all who mourn, to give to those who mourn in Zion joy and gladness instead of grief, a song of praise instead of sorrow. Here's what I want us to see this morning. It is all meant to be shared. It is all meant to be loaned and borrowed. Joy, grief, hope, worry, all of it. The seeds sown in hardship for Israel grow a harvest of rejoicing for Mary. The anxieties of Mary grow a harvest of hope for every person who will one day meet her son. The God that your soul right now is magnifying is the one who connects you to every person who came before you and who will one day live after you. God, we'll reframe that, that little saying from earlier. God doesn't give himself more than he can handle. He hears your pain, he takes in your hurting, and he raises up a harvest of hope, not just for you, but for everybody. And if you're living openly, right, if you're participating in community, both with others and in community with God, then what you are suffering can be shared, and every joy that you need can be borrowed. What you're going through matters, and so does the stuff that other people are going through. And joy is something God cultivates for us out of the pain that we feel and that we scatter. Now I contend the mistake can only be, the mistake can only be leaving the seeds in the packet on the shelf. So if we want to be a church of joy, which we do, we have to be willing to be a church of safety and support for each other. We have to be people who can and do share with our friends. We need to be people, and this is like getting into our church culture right now in an important way, I think. We need to be people who share what we're going through with people who are older than us. We need to be people who share what we're going with, through with people who are younger than us, with everybody. We have to be people who hurt together and comfort each other, not with empty words, right, but with the deep empathy and the compassion that wells up from that image of God that's inside of us. Joy is coming. The Bible says that the whole world is pregnant with joy. The whole world. Waiting, right, for the moment when we experience justice and freedom and laughter. And as we learn from Mary's joy, which she shared with us so long ago in a season of preparation herself, the God who is tending to the seeds that we have planted is a God we can be trusted to grow what he's promised. And even better, the joy that is coming is something that God is offering to let us taste even while we wait. 
So may we be people, right, who sow tears freely. What a thing if that was, a, if that was our church, if that's like a thing people do. Those people sow tears freely. May we be people who seek and feel that image of God within us. And may we be people who expect God to do great things and are ready and looking forward to rejoicing when he does. I'll pray for us and then we'll receive communion and then we'll sing some more loud songs. It'll be fun. They might let me play drums. I was sad I didn't play guitar, but they're going to let me play drums later, I think. Not those. I, that would be a disaster. That one over there. God, thank you for who you are and thank you for how you love us. Thank you for being a God who doesn't want us to, to fight down the things that are hard. Who doesn't want us to kind of get ourselves together and look perfect when we come to you. Who wants us to be naked and vulnerable and honest about what we're feeling, even when those feelings are hard or ugly. God, thank you for telling us over and over again in your word that what you want is for us to be honest. What you want is for us to come to you with who we really are. And that when we do that, you have promised and you've shown over and over again that you will meet us with grace and love and kindness. That you will wrap your arms around us and tell us in a way that we can absolutely trust and believe that joy is coming, that joy is coming. You love us so well, God. And we want to be a church and a community of people who love like you, who love our neighbors like you love us and love each other like you love us. Thank you for the opportunity to even try to do this. Thank you for allowing us to be your people. In your son's name, amen. <laughs>